So we're going to start in chapter 20. Um, and I just love this story of Jehoshaphat because it shows us that our faith is a catalyst for the power of God. So we're going to start in verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Manunites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men had came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazan, Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sire, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came up from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are upon you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some of the Levites from the Kohatites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed them to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out ahead of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. 
As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. So I just love this. Like I just said earlier, it's showing how our faith is what attracts and is a catalyst to the power of God. Like, how do we move the Lord of hosts? It is by our faith. It's by his people's faith. Um, and so, but first, what I want to distinguish is who's the enemy, right? So we throw that there, the, like, who's the enemy? We say the enemy a lot. Um, well, back for Jehoshaphat, the enemies were an actual group of people, and they were flesh and blood. But we've got to look, now that we get to see the story, we see the end, and we see Jesus, we have to look deeper than what's physical of flesh and blood. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of people shy away from the Old Testament is because it is filled with a lot of death, right? There's a lot of judgment. A lot of wicked are killed in the Old Testament. But if you look deeper and you look past the flesh and the blood, we see God's purpose in it. We see what's actually happening. Um, God says in Ezekiel 18, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? So that will always stand true. No matter what happens to the wicked, God does not take pleasure in their death. Um, so if we look deeper, what did the Moabites represent? They represented a pagan nation. They represented a group of people who were rebellious to the laws and commands of God. They, um, they represented the flesh. They represented the world. Um, like John would have called them, he probably would have called them children of Satan who were being used by Satan to come against the chosen people of God. And so God has to make a separation between the wicked and the righteous back in the Old Testament because it's different than it is now. But back then, there was so much idol worship and they were so confused and God was setting up his people. So he was walking through them from the time of Abraham all the way to Jehoshaphat. And so one of the ways he does to set them apart from other nations to show his righteousness through a group of people was circumcision. So that was another thing that was different about these Moabites is they wouldn't have been circumcised. So circumcision was a covenant between God and Abraham that was given to the chosen people of God, the Israelites, that would show that they were physically different than any other nation. Um, and so even from thousands of years from then and generations, our enemy is still the same, right? So our enemy is still going to be the flesh. It's still going to be the ways of the world. It's going to be the sinful nature. And it's the devil. Because he tempts that sinful nature. And he's been the first enemy of God from when he'd fallen and when he was in heaven and was cast down. And so the battle that we go forward from is it's not against flesh and blood, like Ephesians 6 says. But now we have circumcision of the heart, and that's how we're different. So we are an army of God. We are a chosen people of God. But we have the circumcision of our hearts that Paul talks about in the New Testament. So the enemy was demonic forces, and it was the sinful flesh. It was the sinful nature. It was a group of people living in the flesh in the ways of the world. Um, so what does Jehoshaphat do in response to this enemy, to these people who were in rebellion against the ways of the Lord, to the devil who hates 
God's chosen people, and he'll do anything to come against them and cause grief and pain. Um, so there's three ways that Jehoshaphat responded to this army, um, and what it did is it opened up a door from heaven to earth for God's power to be released. So the three ways that he responds is he looks up, he worships, and then he rests. So we're going to kind of go into each one of these. Um, and the first one is that he looks up. It says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. But we do, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So the first step is that he's like, you realize that I can't win this battle. There is no way in my flesh and in who I am that I would have the strength or the power to face this vast army, to face the enemy, to face the wickedness of the world without the power of God. And for us, we can't do it without the blood of Jesus or the Holy Spirit. We just can't. And so that's why salvation um, is so important that we come before God and we realize that we're sinners and we need him. So there's a revelation of a need for God. That's your first key in victory against the enemy, is the revelation that you need God. And so that's why salvation and repentance go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. Repentance is to recognize that you are a sinner, that we do live in sin, that we need a savior. Um, first John says that anyone who says he is without sin is a liar. So first we have to see our need for a savior and that we need God's power to come down and help us. And then once we call in his name and we're saved, we look to him, we look to his strength, we look to his wisdom, his mercy and his love. It doesn't change. Our dependency from death to life does not change. We still are as dependent upon God and his word as we were before we even knew his salvation. If not, I realize I need him more. And so that's what Jehoshaphat does. He goes, I'm king. I should be wise. You've set me up against these people. I have people in my court that could tell me what to do. But no, God, we could not face this army unless we look to you because we do not know what to do and we depend upon you. So looking up is an act of faith. And when you look up, the eyes of God will always lock with yours because I love this scripture. It's so good, and he says, and it's found in 2 Chronicles 2, a couple chapters before 20, in chapter 16, and it says, For the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I'm going to read that one more time because it's so good that we serve a God like this. For the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Right now, he's searching all the earth, and he's looking for people whose hearts are committed to him. Not perfect, not perfect people, just committed hearts, just like Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat wasn't perfect, but he was committed, and God knew his heart. And so God will lock eyes with you, and he's like, oh, they need my strength. I'm going to help them. I'm going to come down and I'm going to move mountains for them because their hearts are committed to me. Um, faith is a magnet that is attracting God's power in our lives. 
So if you think about it, the stronger your faith, it's like a stronger magnet. And I mean, it is just pulling the power of God in our lives. That's why it's so amazing for corporate worship and getting together as a church. Because think about all the magnets that are in here. And we are just buzzing with charge. Holy Spirit's just rubbing up against us to get us just so charged. And that's when the power of God can come on a church. And that's when revival happens. Is because it's all these magnets just get in one room. And the faith just explodes. And God always shows up. Um, So Jehoshaphat had to look up to acknowledge that there was a God in heaven who could deliver them from the hands of the enemy. And so without, like faith says, like the Bible says that faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God because we have to first believe that he exists. So that's why when we look up to God, we're stepping into believing that we have a God that can move on our behalf and that he's real, that we believe in the one true God. And it says we serve a God, like God says, those who put their hope in me will never be disappointed. That in itself is an amazing promise that Jehoshaphat could sit there and say, if we just put our hope in God, we will not be disappointed. No matter the outcome of what happens against this vast army, we will not be disappointed. So if, when we're facing battles and we're facing the enemy and we're facing our flesh, if we put our hope in God, There is nothing that could happen that could disappoint you because God won't let it. It's against what he's promised us. And let his word be true. Verse 20 says, Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. And he didn't say, have faith in a God. He said, have faith in your God. That's what makes us different. He was trying, Jehoshaphat was trying to tell the people, we're different than them. We serve a living God. We've already heard of all the stories of our ancestors, of how he brought them out of Egypt, how he split the Red Sea. He's already defeated our enemies in the past. He's already given us this land. We've already cleared most of the land out. All of these things have happened. And so for us, we serve a mighty God. We serve our God. We don't serve the gods of the nation. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we need to take ownership of our relationship with God. I think that's what the church is lacking in these days is that we're not, there's so much out there and there's so much going on that we haven't been boldly going before the throne of God every day and having confidence that we are children and that we can step into the holies of holies because Christ has torn the veil. So we don't serve the God of the nations. I love the verse that says, all the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Our God is real and he's powerful and he will uphold you. That's his promise. If we have faith and he sustains everything by the power of his word. And when we live out of faith, we believe God's word. Not just bits and pieces, but first we have to believe the beginning when it says in creation, he, um, in the beginning, he created. All the way to Revelation, when he says, when Jesus says, behold, I am coming again soon and my reward is with me. If we do not believe those two things, everything from there to the end will not make sense. And it will be hard for us to, sh- to just sift through the wheat and the chaff. 
So we have to believe that. We have to have faith in the word of God because we're not always going to be able to see the in-between. Not every battle we face will make sense. And it'll be easy for us to ask why it's happening, and especially with all the evil that's going in the world. Faith, our faith can just kind of be diluted by the world sometimes. Um, but we have to have faith in a God that he fulfills his promises. He's already fulfilled every promise for us in Christ. And so he will continue to fulfill promises to us. So I even just encourage you guys, as you go in boldly before the throne, ask God for for specific promises over your life. Because when you're facing the enemy and when you're facing the flesh and when you're going out in a vast army and you're facing the world, I promise you, you're going to want some specific promises. I've been, when you go through a hard season, like even right now, I've had a really hard season um, in some places of my life. And, but God had given me a specific promise about it in August, and now I'm finally seeing the fulfillment of that promise in my life. But if, he, if I wouldn't have sought him and he wouldn't so graciously have given me a specific promise, I don't know if I could have stand, stood against the army in the battle that had, I had been facing the past couple months. And so I just pray, go ask and seek the Lord um, for a promise over your life. Um, Another thing is judgment and faith cannot go hand in hand. You either have one or the other. And that's how the enemy wants to distract us. He wants to distract us by fear and by judgment. By fear, he wants us to be afraid. He wants to look really big. Um, And that's why in in Jehoshaphat, in our story that we're reading, God said, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Go out and face them. And the Lord will be with you. It's funny how time and time again, God shows up, but he has to tell his people to not be afraid. As many times as I've seen God move in my life, I still struggle with fear. God, the enemy just looks too big. Or maybe for some of you, it's like, oh, this temptation is just too big, God. It's bigger than you are. I can't fight this. It's too big for me. But we do not have to be afraid, and we can stand up against the wicked. We can stand against our flesh, and we can have and be bold in our faith. So even when we're going out in army, sometimes when we're going into work, if you're going into school, it can be scary to share your faith because it's that spiritual warfare that's going on. You're in a battle every day, whether you want to realize it or not, because at the end of the day, it's a battle for people's souls. So when you go to class, I just feel like the Lord just wants to remind college students right now, or if you're in high school or middle school, you're going into school every day, and you're fighting a battle. And that's why sometimes I feel like some of you go into school, and you have all this anxiety, and you don't know where it's coming from, but God wants to tell you it's because there's a spiritual warfare for the lives of the students around you, and that God has specifically placed you in classes and in certain school, like schools and um, majors that you are where you're supposed to be. Because there are people there that God needs you to be bold in your faith. He doesn't need you to be afraid. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are those who believe and are saved. And because of that, there can be salvation for other people. There is people who need to know Jesus that we encounter on a daily basis. That is the war that's going on around us. That's the war that's going on in our nations. It is all about the souls of people. It doesn't matter what happens to the flesh. 
What happens to our spiritual flesh is what, happen, what matters. And eternity is what matters. It's, that's another thing. He wants us to be afraid. So we keep our eyes looking down. And we see all the distractions of the world. And we get distracted by things that are going on in the day-to-day just life that we forget our purpose here and we forget the battle that's going on and that our faith and our boldness in our faith will change people's lives. Um, he's also going to get us to judge people. So that's another, like, fear and judgment. He wants us to judge our situation. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, judge no thing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. So if Jehoshaphat would have kept his eyes looking at the armies, he would have started to make judgments of what could have happened or what was going to happen or what he needed to do. They could have started um, looking at their situation and say, oh, this is not going to end well. This isn't going to be good for us. They're too big for us. They're going to start judging what the enemy is in front of them. And they're going to start, judgment causes doubting. They would start questioning God if they would have started judging their situation Um, And they would have probably let the fear of the enemy make their decisions instead of their faith in God. And if this would have happened, this story probably would have ended very differently if they wouldn't have turned their eyes heavenward. So I feel like one of the ways that the enemy wants to distract us is judging people. I feel like it's very hard for us not to judge the wicked, to judge our situations, to question God. Um, all of this is making judgments. It's easy to say, well, that person's not following God or that politician is making the decisions because they're a heathen and they're a pagan and they don't deserve the love of God. And instead of praying for them, our first reaction is to judge them and to judge their hearts. So we judge no thing. So even what's going on in our nation right now, it is very clear we judge no thing until the appointed time when the Lord comes. That Jesus is the only judge. And Jesus is very clear about judging people. He says, don't do it, because it's not going to go well for you. I love John. In John it says that the Father doesn't even judge. He has given all judgment to Jesus. All judgment. So we have no room in our hearts to fight the enemy through judging others, judging people who don't know Jesus, maybe judging our family members. Be like, oh, well, that person said this mean thing to me because they're this. All of that has to stop in the church, and we have to let vengeance, and we have to let the true judge, Jesus, do it. We get just to fight against the devil, and we get to sit there, and we get to pray for that person. We get to pray for our situation. We get to look up to heaven and say, God, but you can, but you can do this. You can change that person. They're not too far from you. Um, we need to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right-hand throne of God. So we need to look up and we need to look at Jesus. So when Jehoshaphat turned his eyes on the Lord, he was able to do a mighty work for the good of the entire nation. For the entire, just because Jehoshaphat took a step of faith, God was able to change the fate of a nation. That they were not destroyed, but God destroyed their enemies. And so what if as a church we turned our eyes 
to God. And that he, it opened the door to let him do a mighty work for the church's good that would change the nation. Because God's going to work on behalf of those that love him. So if we look to him as a church, then God will respond. And it's going to be the good for our nation. We may not know what to do right now with all that's going on and all the wickedness that we feel and all the pressures we feel against the enemy and the army closing in. But we say as a church today that, God, we don't know what to do, but we look to you. And that, as we see in this story, is what is going to open up heaven over earth to experience the power of God. Um, The second thing that Jehoshaphat does is he worships. So this is so key in um, battles that we face and getting victory. Um, it says, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And then that's when the Lord sent the ambushes and the enemy was defeated. So why does worship move the hand of God? It's because worship is acknowledging that God is God And it's releasing him and letting him be God. So when we worship, we are declaring who God is. And then we're releasing him to be God. We don't have to be God. We don't have to convince God to be God. Because he's going to be him. And he's perfect and he's mighty and he's powerful. And he works for his people. Worship, it takes the focus off of what we can do. And puts it on what God can do. So when we, our worship was amazing today. So when we worship and we say, hail King Jesus, and we sing those things, it's letting Jesus be king over our lives. It's letting him come and rule and reign in our hearts. And it takes the focus off any battle that we're going through. It takes the focus off of ourselves, our desires, anything that is misplaced in the flesh or in the world. And it says, Jesus, you are king and come be king over me. And when we sing that, how powerful do we feel afterwards? And we feel so confident that no matter when we leave these doors, what's going on, that Jesus Hail King Jesus, because he's going to be king in my life. And he will rule over me in a just, kind, loving, merciful way. Um, Worship is praising God for who he is that causes God to respond. Um, It's declaring our faith. So if faith is a catalyst to the power of God, when we worship, all we're doing is outwardly declaring what we believe to be true. And I love it because Judah, um, it says in verse 27, God gave them cause to rejoice over their enemies. Like, we don't probably need any reason to rejoice because other than God is God and he's good. But he gives us cause to rejoice over our enemies because he's like, I want them to see that this is real, that who I say I am is real. Like, God wants to show up for you. He wants to show up to you. He wants you to know that he's alive and he's ruling and he's reigning. He is not trying to hide himself from you. He is available 24-7.
He's at your reach. Um, So Judah's cause of rejoicing was the defeat of their enemy, the Moabites. Um, So what's, as believers now, we're not facing... We're not facing the Moabites right now, but what is our cause for rejoicing? I love it because it's the same as Zacharias in Luke 1, 68 through 75. Our cause for rejoicing is the promise of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It is the defeat of sin and death on the cross. And we're going to read um, what Zechariah praises God for in Luke 1, 68 through 75, because this is our cause to rejoice as he says it. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets along of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. That is a cause to rejoice, that God will remember his promise all the way from Abraham to David to Jehoshaphat to me and you, that he would send a Messiah, that we would no longer have to be oppressed by the enemy, that he would have no more power over the flesh, over our decisions, over the things that we do, but that we would be completely surrendered and have power over death, that we would have eternal salvation that the promise was satisfied through Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead. That is why we rejoice, because the enemy has been defeated. And I love, um, we're actually, I have a lot of scripture today. We're going to read 2 Samuel 22, 1 through 20. Um, Because I love how David praises God, because it's an amazing picture of what God did for us. So it puts into a picture of how God came And he saved us from our enemy. So we're going to start at 22 and we're going to go to verse 20. David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock. My fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. From violent men you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. 
Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and he flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemies, bolts of lightning and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I just love that because I just think it's so beautiful and a powerful picture of how God shows up for his people and how he showed up for us through Christ. It says that the cords of the grave cooled around me. God saw where we were. He saw where Israel was. He saw where the Moabites were. And through Jesus, he came down and he rescued us from the grave and he scattered our enemy. Like This is a beautiful picture. God still does this for us. Like, you don't think that God is not coming down with bolts of lightning and scattering the enemy? He is. I'm here to tell you today that God is doing all of this for you right now against the enemy and the demonic forces that are in this world. And so the earth trembles when God moves, and we just get to be joyful And we get to say, look what my dad is doing for me. Look what my father is moving on behalf of me and on behalf of his people. Um, When we put our faith in Jesus, we are born into a living hope and into an inheritance that can never spoil or fade. And that was one of the things that Jehoshaphat was saying to the people, was to God, was that these people are trying to drive us out of our possession, the inheritance that you promised us. That's what the devil's trying to do, is he's trying to take your inheritance. If he can take pieces of treasure from you, like you will feel that void. But he doesn't have to. That's if you give it to him because you want it. It's your inheritance. Stand up for it. Stand up for your possession. We have a living hope now. Living means it's active. We, have a, we don't have a dead faith or a dead hope. It's living, and First Peter says, we're going to read First Peter um, 1 through 9, and it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never per- perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
So living hope here actually means joyful expectation of eternal salvation. So when we hope in the Lord in the midst of a battle or in the midst of fighting the enemy, we have this joyful expectation that no matter what happens in this world, I have an eternal salvation that cannot be taken from me. Do you know why this is important? Do you know why Peter was writing this and who he was writing it to? He was writing it to people, um, to Christians who were being um, persecuted severely. This is during a time when they were, the emperor started persecution of the church. I mean, this is when all of the graphic, all of the worst things were happening. I mean, he was burning them alive. I mean, throwing them into the Colosseum to be eaten by dogs and wild animals. And they had to be scattered. And they would have to leave and hide for their lives. But he's encouraging them and saying, no matter what happens, though you face trials of many kinds, like you have an eternal salvation, so it doesn't matter what happens to the flesh. And the reason why this is important is because here in America, I feel like God wanted to remind us about the persecuted church. In America, our persecution is so less severe than what's going on in other um, countries and nations where Christianity is not allowed and there's dictatorship and there's evil people that will um, persecute people for their faith in Christ. And people are dying. So I like had this picture. Um, the reason why I'm praying for the persecution church is so important is when you stub your toe and your toe's hurting, what is the automatic thing that your hand does? It goes and holds your toe. There is no place in your body where it gets hurt that doesn't affect the rest of your body. We need to be affected by the persecution of our brothers and sisters of Christ. Like It is a part of what we're supposed to do. It should be a daily part of your prayer is praying for those who are being persecuted for our faith. We share that same faith. And so what this is amazing is that, but that doesn't mean that we're all going to be free from persecution. So hold on to this living hope, because when you have to face an army, and you may have to die for your faith, that you would be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Because this is the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So no matter what happens to our body, no matter if it's being burned alive because people hate Jesus and they're going to hate you for it, we are filled with joy. And though we have not seen him, we love him and we would die for him. This is the working of the Holy Spirit that we would give our lives for him. This is the end goal of our salvation. Um, whoa, sorry, y'all. Just <laughs> the Lord is just—he's so good, and He's just worth it. He's worth our lives, and He's going to be worth. He fights for us. Like, how unworthy are we that the God of heaven and earth would come down to fight for us? Um, and He also gives us His protection. So I love this first Peter because it says, through faith you are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation. That, that, that does not mean that you're going to be shielded from pain and suffering. It means that your eternal soul is going to be shielded from the attacks of the enemy. That your salvation is going to be kept 
by the power of God. So you don't have to live your life every single day asking yourself if you're a believer or not or where you're going to end up if you die. We can stand on faith because God's power is shielding us through our faith. Um, and his power is protecting us so that Christ's work and gospel may bear fruit among the nations. So he protects our living hope so that the nations would prosper from the gospel. Paul says, But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So just like Judah, Judah's salvation was not in the hands of Jehoshaphat. It was in the hands of God. And our salvation is protected until the day of God's coming through Jesus and his vengeance against the enemy. So he will come and be by our side and he will rescue us from every evil attack against our soul. So again, you might be going through some really hard things, but you can be joyful through the pain because that's, God, that's just evidence that God's protecting your soul. Because if God wasn't protecting your soul and you went through a really hard thing, it's gonna be, you would probably lose your faith. But because of God's power, in you and his working of his Holy Spirit, we don't have to be afraid that if we go through something hard, we're going to just stop believing in God because God is more for us than we are. Like God wants us to be in heaven more than we want ourselves to be in heaven. Um, so Judas says, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. That's why we rejoice. His love endures forever. Um, so finally... Um, Jehoshaphat and the people, the end of the story is they rest. So, so far they've looked up, they've worshiped, and now they rest. So the end of the story, they look over at the defeat of their enemies. In verse 24, it says, they came to the place um, that overlooks the desert and they saw all the dead bodies. They saw the defeat of the enemy. They looked down at the defeat of all their enemies. They didn't have to do anything. All they had to do was go stand. God says, go out there and stand, and I'll do everything. Um, sorry to y'all, my nose is dripping from crying. <laughs> um, but this is what we get to do, is we get to look down on the enemy. God says to Jesus that he made all of his enemies a footstool. And our flesh now is crucified with Christ. I love um, this story. It was actually, I was growing up, and it was like, I think it was one of the saints my like pastor knew or some older guy who had been walking with the Lord forever. And he actually, at the bottom of his shoes, he wrote, my mom probably remembers this, he wrote Satan on the bottom of his shoes so that every day he would be reminded that he walks on Satan. That Satan, like we're the head, not the tail. And that his enemy is under his feet. And so I just love that story because it's so true. It's like God has already defeated our enemies. Um, and Jensen Franklin, he put a, um, he said something really good about looking um, at our enemy and the defeat of the enemy. So right now I'm going to talk about the enemy as Satan. Um, so in Ezekiel, it talks about 
Satan being cast down, and it says, I cast you upon the earth, and I made you a spectacle amongst kings. And um, I'm with Jensen. He had, like, a good point on that, is that one day we're going to be able to look at Satan, and we're going to be able to look down on him and say, are you the one? Are you the one that put me in so much misery? Are you the one that tempted me for so long? Are you the one that came against me? Are you the one that tried to make me afraid of you? Because he is going to look like nothing compared to the glory of Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain. That is why in the secret place is important because we get a glimpse of the glory of God. So that we can look at Satan and say, are you the one that's tempting me with that? I don't think so. Because I have a God who is for me and he is moving for me and he is protecting my soul and salvation. You cannot have it. You cannot have me. And all fear is gone when we see how little and powerless Satan is. Again, remember, it's a part of his fear tactic. He wants us to be afraid of him. But you just say, are you the one that's causing all this mischief in my life? And you just keep moving forward and you keep rejoicing with the Lord. So the last couple of verses are 28 through 30. And it says, the fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. I believe in the last days, as the enemy seems bigger, um, there's more wickedness, that if we would look to the Lord and we would have faith in him and his church would arise, that God would show up for his church in mighty ways that other nations would have to take notice, that governments would have to take notice, that in the White House, there would be testimonies of God moving on behalf of the church. In North Korea, there would be testimonies in the government of what God was doing for those who were being persecuted. In the newspapers, there would be testimonies of how God moved heaven and earth and did miracles on behalf to fight for his people. And the nations would be afraid of the Lord, that they would fall in reverence to the God that the church serves because he moves on behalf of them. And it says the kingdom was at peace because God had given them rest from their enemies. You know, I think what's important too and so humbling is to realize, you know, Colossians 1 actually says that we were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. Like without Christ, you are an enemy of God. Like according to scripture, it is a hard truth, but it is real and it should make you fear God. But because of Jesus, we've been reconciled by God, by him making peace through the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. So you were an enemy of God. You were no different than the Moabites that God came against. But because of Jesus, you have now been reconciled and we are at peace with God through the blood of Jesus. And when you have peace with God, you can rest. 
You don't have to be afraid of judgment. You don't have to be afraid of his wrath because he is for us now. We're no longer his enemy, but he calls us his friend. He calls us his children. Um, and, you know, in a time of battle, it's, a, it's just God says, like, he will keep in perfect peace those whose mind are steadfast on him. So you can be in perfect peace at all times if you remain steadfast and your minds are on him. That you can have the mind of Christ. That you don't have to let anything shake you. You don't have to let any battle that you're going through shake you. You stand firm, and when you've done everything to stand, you keep standing firm on the word of God. He wants to show up for us, and I feel like that was the start of this message, was God was like, I want to flex my muscle for my people. Like, I know how strong I am. But I don't know if they believe how strong I am, so I want to show them. So if you guys come to faith today and you're just recharged and re-strength, I want you to have a great expectation when you leave this door that you're going to see God move in a mighty way in your life. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're going through, whatever army you're facing, whatever demonic attack that is coming against you, when you leave that door, I want you to have high expectations that God is going to move on your behalf. And that he's going to come with power to scatter your enemies. Faith in his power lets us rest in his presence. So when we're faithful in who he is and his power, we're going to rest in his presence. That he goes before us and he's with us at all times. And remember, like he said earlier, it's like a rainbow. We don't have to worry and we don't have to be afraid. We just get to sit under the promise. And it's such a peaceful place. It's so easy for our flesh and our spirit to make war in our soul. It happens all the time. And that's where we feel the emotions of what we're going through. But your spirit can overcome your flesh. It already has through Christ. So just have faith. And it be at rest, David says, once more, oh my soul, because the Lord has been good to you. Just speak to your soul and say, be at rest once more because God has been good to you. Jehoshaphat could say that. He could have said that at the end or when he was nervous. He could have been like, be at rest once more, oh my soul, because you have proven your goodness to my forefathers. And I'm going to believe your promise that you're going to be good to me. It is the Lord who goes before you that will fight for you. And that we would just be still and that we would know he is God. Um, that's all I have for you guys. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about if maybe someone was here who doesn't know Jesus. Who couldn't say that they had a personal relationship with him. And they feel like they're an enemy of God. I promise you, you don't want to face God on Judgment Day. It's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of God on Judgment Day. But thankfully, he's giving you an opportunity right now to come to the winning side. And it's so easy. The winning side is just stepping over through the blood of Christ and putting your faith and your hope in him. And you don't have to face him on Judgment Day. You don't have to face the Lord of hosts that defeats and scatters the enemies. You don't want to be on the devil's side. 
at the appointed time when Christ comes. Because it will be a, there's a place reserved for those who do not choose Christ in this lifetime. And it, again, it's another hard truth, but it's real. And it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, what Jesus says. It's a place of hate, separation from his light and his um, goodness and mercy and love. And maybe there isn't someone here today, but you guys know of people who are on the enemy's side. And that if the Lord were to come back right now, they would have to face his army and they would have to face his judgment. So I want you to think of a person right now that you know, and I'm sure we all know one in multiple, that do not know Jesus. And they're just a pawn on the enemy's side. And they don't know what they're doing. They're completely blinded from the um, battle tactics of the enemy. And they're just being used by him. I want you to think of those people. And we're going to pray for them in a minute. But I also want you to encourage you to be bold in your faith. And I want you to tell that person about the gospel. Whether it's today, tomorrow, you can ask God when the harvest will be right. But it's now. Today is the day of salvation. And I just encourage you to go out and share the gospel with them. It's the most loving thing that you can do is to give someone the good news. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to make sure that I have that one person that I'm going to share the gospel with. I'm going to do it with you because that's all that matters. When we leave, it doesn't matter what we eat or what we wear or what we drink after church. It matters that we are on the winning side and we're getting people, we're turning people who are enemies into friends of God. That's our calling in life, that we would be ambassadors of Christ, him making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. That's our message. So um, I also want to pray for anyone, um, if you felt like you've been distracted by the enemy, whether that's by fear, you're going through something and you've been super fearful and he's just gotten an upper hand on you. You feel like um, that you're facing just demonic oppression, depression, um, maybe that you're facing temptation that just you've allowed to be bigger than you are. Um, Jesus says that with temptation, he always provides a way out. So we are believing this morning that there's a way out. Um, if you're feeling um, tempted or maybe you've made a lot of judgments towards people or your situation and you've questioned God and you've made judgments on people, how they've acted towards you, um, I'd like to pray for you. So if we just would close our eyes, and if any of that resonates with you, after we close our eyes, would you just lift up your hand? Because I want you that to also be an act of faith, of be like, God, this is me. If any one of those, maybe, I mean, if you're a believer, not a believer, that you would just raise your hand, um, that God would see you, that his eyes are searching the earth right now to look for a heart fully committed to him, to move on their behalf. 